Well, I came to Los Angeles in 1988, and in the years since then, I watched the air get much, much cleaner and the politics gets much, much dirtier. Mm. But it honestly took me the better part of 25 or 30 years for me to really understand what, what's going on in California, and not just in California, but in virtually every Democratic-run city all around the country. The pattern's the same, and let's take a look at it. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Ott. And a gentleman there's sat there and watched for a decade or more wondering how the people who were the who were running the state of California could not understand that their high taxes were driving the middle class tax base out of the state and i would say the the i, I would go around telling people well here's how the california legislature works um, people are leaving the state because of high taxes that's reducing our revenue base so the only solution to that of course is to raise taxes even higher it's a death it's a death yeah. spiral and 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 it took me forever to, really took me forever to come to the understanding that it's not that they don't know that that's what it's doing, that that is what they want, that the destruction of the middle class in California and the and the just kicking the middle class out of California and out of these democratic cities like New Orleans and so on, siding with the criminals, these, these DAs that let people back on the street, homelessness, crime, people defecating everywhere, crazy people everywhere, all of this stuff says, well, why don't they do something about it? They are doing something about it. They're doing this on purpose. They are trying, trying to, dis, to drive the middle class away from these areas so they can cement their control. Now, whenever I start feeling a little blue about things, I'll pretty much go to Victor Davis Hanson because that guy has uh, the ability to take the long view. And he said something about the middle class that I had never heard before, and it was such an astonishing statement, it actually stopped me cold in my tracks. Um, Scotty, let's start with you. Um, I've always known and believed that the that the American middle class was the economic buffer uh, that that kept society stable, that it that it was the it, that it was the huge middle of the country of of common regular people that that economically kept the country more or less stable. But here's what Victor Davis Hanson had to say about the American middle class when when it when it started to come into being. He said they would not be part of the classical Marxist binary, they were not oppressed, they didn't oppress people. And I'd never thought of it that way That's before. Lovely. That the middle class is not oppressible, nor do they impress up oppress people. They are a cultural, economic, political, moral buffer zone. They're a cushion that 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 is unique in the world which used to consist of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, the, the king and you had the serfs. That was it. That was all. And when you put people in the middle who are neither oppressed or oppress other people, you develop a stability and you liberate millions and millions of people to, to start their own businesses and so on and so forth. This is why the middle class in America has to be destroyed. Because if you are determined to go to a binary system where there are the rulers and the ruled, those are the people you need to get rid of. And I think that's exactly what they're doing on purpose. Well, I just read the other day, I think maybe this morning, California um, has a $32 billion deficit in their state government right now. Yeah. Um, I saw another story indicating that um, Republican legislatures in states around the country are moving to make it impossible for so-called people's referendum, referenda, 
to be able to change state constitutions. And as you know, California's state constitution is essentially a collection of referendums uh, that <laughs> yes. have been passed over the years. It's People Magazine. Yeah. It's it's People Magazine. Which yeah, it's what's, what's, no constitution what's, at what's all. hot this yeah. week. It's, no. it's, it's the people as legislature. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember when I was a, a county commissioner, uh, one of my fellow Republicans so-called um, wanted to make it so that in order for us to raise taxes, we had to do a referendum. And I said, why would you Uh, give up the responsibility of the legislature to do the right thing and pass that off on the people in a low turnout primary election period um, so that you could just get out from underneath the responsibility of having to manage the budget wisely or in some cases having to raise taxes. And he kept saying, well, the people need to speak. And I said, "Does people speak when they vote you out. That's when they speak. (laughs) And that's the way. (laughs) And that's why you wanted it. That's the way the legislative process is supposed to work. You must act, and then you must stand before the voters. Um, Anyway, you're seeing that more and more with the so-called democratic movement is really an an absolving of responsibility from the, the people who enjoy the emoluments of power so that they can basically say, well, it wasn't me, it was the people who wanted this, you know, and even in the votes that they do take, they, they blame the people. The interesting thing in Victor Davis Hanson's uh, view about this is yes, there's a sense in which the middle class so-called is not an oppressor or oppressed, but in these United States, it is also not a static body. People are constantly moving into and out of the middle class. They're moving up, they're moving down, they're moving through. And so we don't really have a middle class. There aren't any class boundaries that keep you yeah, I'm gonna get to that. From, from advancing or, or declining. Also in this country, in a, in, despite the, what you hear from progressive politicians, the poor are not the oppressed in this country. In fact, the poor in this country are the middle class in every other country. <laughs> if you look at the, the real income of people who are classified as poor in this country, it, most other countries would say, oh, how I wish I could be poor like that. <laughs> um, yep. And the people who are wealthy don't necessarily live substantially better lives than most of the so-called middle class or even the poor in some sense. In fact, they have more troubles, more worries, more problems, and uh, are essentially eating food that's just as fresh and just as good. They're getting access to medicine that is in most air cases conditioning. equal. E- e- they yep. all you know, yep. live in air conditioned comfort in, in, in most cases. Again, there are extremes uh, at either end. Um, so we don't, you know, Marx's uh, classist view of society does not really exist here. Um, and so, but but the people who are in that transitional phrase, phase that I will call the middle class now, um, I don't think, I mean, that used to be the meat and potatoes of the Democratic Party. They used to say those are the people they cared about, uh, particularly when they were organized in labor unions. And I think there's the rub, because when when labor union membership was at its peak and it was a political arm of the Democratic Party, then we cared about the middle class. That's why President Biden is always trying to push construction projects that are built with union labor, because the union membership can be controlled because a couple of people at the top essentially make decisions for everybody else. And you can influence those couple of people with various kinds of inducements to be political weapons for you, political uh, ground troops for you. 
So I think that's what's threatening to the Democrats right now is because union membership has gone off a cliff. They now look at the middle class and say, well, these people are thinking for themselves. And they're calling, yeah, can't They're going that. out there and doing whatever they want. They're starting businesses. They're not content to pay their union dues and shut up and do what the union boss tells them to and stand outside a polling place and hand out brochures for a guy they don't even know or care about. You know, that's that was their strength, and they've lost that. Now they're trying to replace that in many ways with the so-called poor uh, immigrant populations. They're trying to refill that funnel with people who they can control from a few points of access. Uh, Steve, the um, let's... Let's take a look at it like a concrete example okay. of what happens when democratic policies force away a middle class. All of America's big cities have been run by Democrats forever, but let's just take Baltimore as an example mm. because I've read a little bit of the history of Baltimore and, and how it became one of the great murder pits of the world. In these neighborhoods that you would see on shows like The Wire or whatever, these the, they're, they're just nothing but boarded up buildings and their people stripping the electrical cable from the wires from the walls so that they can sell it for three dollars so they can get you know get their latest hit the only uh, economic activity is drug dealing all of these battered boarded up houses in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s these were single family homes that were that were filled with a mom a dad and 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 four or five kids and most importantly those families were black and white families that were working shoulder to shoulder. They had the same libraries. They would do the same churches and so on. I'm not saying it was ethnic paradise, but I am saying it was not this sense of it's the cops versus us. It's not like there is nothing to buffer these two things now in Baltimore. That's why everything is bombed out. If you take the middle class out of Baltimore, you end up with this ghetto and all that's left are the ruling class and the and the 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 poor class and they're at constant war with each other and and it's a it's a bloody mess this thing is like the middle class after hearing david victor davis hansen with that one line made me realize that put aside the economic benefits of the middle class they are a cultural cartilage disc between two bones you know they 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 cushion everything because as scott said there's no linear line between upper middle class and you know and, and and lower rich or the lower middle class and the poor it's it's a very it's a very ill-defined boundary if you take that away you have a stark binary again you got the haves and you have the have-nots and the haves want very much to have a world of haves and haves not and have-nots and here we are we don't we're not oppressed and we don't want to oppress anybody yeah, um, you said they're at war with each other, but they're 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 really not. There's a, a huge payoff system, which is basically uh, we're gonna we're gonna make sure you've got enough cash for your basic necessities, your EBT card, whatever. Uh, we'll take care of your basic health care needs. You'll have to wait in line. The clinic won't be very good and all that, but you, you'll be taken care of well enough. And in exchange for that, you keep us in power. It's 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 essentially a Soviet system, just with softer edges, uh, but. The, the the classes the the function of it all is 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 essentially soviet um it's, and as you say you brought up baltimore i could i could mention detroit um half of the manufacturing capability in this country when this country produced half of the world's manufactured goods half of our manufacturing was around the great lakes and it was all centered around detroit which was the third greatest city in the united states and and one of the great cities of the world just a 
brilliant, brilliant city. You can buy a house in in uh, in Detroit now for seven thousand dollars, and um, and that would be more the expensive one, one of the more expensive ones. You can get them as cheap as I think is two thousand um, dollars. Two thousand twenty twenty three dollars, yeah. not two thousand nineteen fifty dollars. Yeah, this is uh, uh, this is a city that's that's over. Um, there aren't even any yeah, scraps left to fight over at at, at this point. And uh, we're going to watch this process unless something turns around very quickly. We're going to watch this process play out next in Chicago. Uh, Chicago just swore in their super progressive mayor, uh, Brandon Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think on Sunday, who described all of the wonderful things he was going to do to the city. And uh, by Monday, <laughs> this is this is potentially huge. The Merck, the the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, threatened to leave Chicago, and this isn't an, an idle threat. They can go wherever they want. Um, you're talking about wealthy people are mobile. Um, the Merck could pull up stakes and go almost anywhere else in the United States they wanted. If I had to guess. If the Merck leaves Chicago, it'd be it'd end up in Texas or Florida, and boom, just more giant tax bases in one of those two states. Um, and the really sad conclusion, and I can't remember if I talked about this uh, last week on one of our right angles. I don't think so. I, I think I was talking about this with my uh, uh, PJ Media friend and colleague Stephen Cruiser uh, on one of our uh, one of our live chats. Is that this is a really difficult conclusion to come to because uh, as Americans, we believe, and especially as middle-class Americans, we believe in the just the decency of uh, Americans and that, that general goodwill, and we really do want the best for each other, and we think we want the best for ourselves too. So it was very difficult for, for me to come to this conclusion. But I left California in 1994 because I could see the writing on the wall back then. I love San Francisco. I love Northern California. But the intolerance was creeping in, and it was not going to turn around. The self-destructive pathologies of the voters were were so well entrenched that I knew things were only going to get worse. And the only thing that I got wrong is the uh, dot-com money that started coming in in the mid-'90s uh, delayed the inevitable by several years. Um, <clears throat> But pretty soon, it's going to be Apple, Google, the wine industry, Hollywood, and a lot of poor people. And that's, that's going to be basically it for California. And as I said, I, I could see that happening in the, in the early 90s. Uh, it's happening now in Chicago. Uh, it's at the end game in, in Baltimore. It was at the end game in Detroit by the 1990s. It's, it's, Detroit is over. It's, it's, it's finished. And so the conclusion I've been forced to reach is this is what the voters in these places want. Decline is a choice, and given that choice every two to four years, built they choose it again and again and again. They look at the poop on the sidewalk. They look at the syringes. They look at the, the, the open-air uh, uh, fentanyl markets in, in, in what used to be prime real estate in San Francisco, and they keep voting for more of the same. I have to conclude that the filth, the poverty, the dependency, and those those glittering untouchables in the nice parts of town, this is what they want. What are you going to do? Well, one of the things you can do is at least, you know, point out the mechanism to people. So let's take a real quick walk here. Um, the middle class buffers society because there's no strong grade there's an enormous gradient between a, a, a person who's who's doesn't have a job and is on welfare 
and the guys that run Google. There, there's an enormous gap between those people. If you have a spectrum of people in between there, everything basically just kind of flows. The, the ability to move from, from one income level to, the, to another income level with the middle class, is an, it's a spectrum. You can, just, you can just work your way up over the course of generations if that's what it takes. But if you only have the binary, then you have control over people, and that's what these people want. So why, why did Marxism take root and do the damage it did? Marxism was the result of enormous inequities in the early stages of capitalism, where in order to be a capitalist, you had to have capital. You had to have the money to open a factory. You would employ thousands of people. You would treat them horribly. And, and that was the model that that Marx was rebelling against a a bipartisan a, a, a bipartite binary system: the rich and the poor, bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And when the middle class arose as a result of the the, the benefits of, of free market, and you got away from what was called capitalism into free market expansion, I'm just open a I'm going to open a, a, a dry cleaning shop. I don't need to be a guy with a vest and a top hat holding two big sacks with dollar signs on it in order to be able to do that, right? So there's this giant explosion. But for the people who want to tell people what to do, this is a problem. The, the reason that the middle class is leaving California and leaving America's cities is because they can afford to, which means that the only people that are left are the people who cannot afford to leave and the people who rule over them. Paradoxically, when this process happened, when, when capitalism began to produce so much wealth that the idea of an actual middle class became not only possible but inevitable, that left the actual Marxists with a real problem on their hands. Years after World War I, the Marxists looked around, and I'll just keep telling the story because you need to understand it. The Marxists in Germany primarily looked around after World War One and said, what happened to the great worldwide socialist revolution? We had a world war. We had everybody just being murdered by these industrialists and so on. That was the story they were telling anyway. So what happened to the worldwide workers revolution? Well, it didn't happen because, because society was producing enough benefits for there not to be an economically based revolution. There were no workers revolutions because the workers were starting to do pretty well. In America, they had their own, their own cars for God's sakes. So the Marxists said, well, what do we do about this? If it's not going to be the workers who are going to bring in Marxism, we have to change our focus. And instead of it being an economic vanguard, we'll make it a political vanguard. And instead of it being the working man, it's going to be the dispossessed. All of Marxism today is a result of the Frankfurt School. These philosophers who in the 1920s formed the Institute of Marxism in Frankfurt, Germany, and decided that the only way that they could get into power is to take our focus off of the economy and put it onto cultural differences. And so that's exactly what they're doing. They, Marxism is dependent on a proletariat and a working class. Everybody knows this. The most important thing to understand is, is when you see these actions on the part of governments, when you see raising taxes and, and, and people fleeing, when you see a city like this with roads the quality of Mogadishu, when you wonder why can't they do something about it? Why don't they why is it that if you have a homeless guy defecating on your doorstep in on Ventura Boulevard and you call the police and the police tell you on the phone, there's nothing we can do about it. We've been told we can't we can't do anything about that. Why? Why, 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 why? It's not an accident. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that they don't understand it. It's intentional. It's designed to drive the middle class out of 
areas that they want to control. And I will never forget that sense of the middle class is not oppressed, nor do they oppress people. They are a moral, political, economic paradise of some kind where they're generally left alone to do their own business. And it's the middle class is under attack all across this country. And it's helpful if you want to defend things like this to at least understand where the income and shells are coming from and what they're specifically aimed at. And if you're watching the show, the chances are pretty near 100% that that is aimed at you. And you need to know that. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Right Angle.